to the Gospel of John, chapter 4. This morning we find ourselves in verse 10. Now we covered the first section of it um, on Wednesday. We covered all the way up to verse 38. But I want to focus on this one verse here this morning. And one of the, the, the reasons I want to do it is because this verse simply just outlines itself. And when you have scripture that outlines itself, it's not a lazy route, but it's, it's really a, a key to God. You want us to really take these steps into our hearts. You want us to take these steps into our lives and to learn what it is that we need to do. Now here in John chapter 4, the Lord has understood that basically the Pharisees have now come to an understanding that Jesus, or more likely his disciples under his authority, are baptizing more people than John. All are coming to him. And in the same way the Pharisees went after John to question the authority, he knew they were coming after him. So he departs that region there in the Jordan, and he goes up to Samaria. Now, rather than like most Jews who skirt to the east or the west to avoid the people of Samaria because they weren't well-liked in the sense they were despised by the Jews, the scripture says that Jesus needed to go through Samaria. He needed to go through. There was an appointment that he had with the people of Sychar. So it was a town there in Samaria. They didn't know that they had an appointment. Jesus knew that they had an appointment, and he was coming to fulfill what they needed even before they asked. Now, as it was stated, Jesus was wearied. Wearied. God. God was wearied. Why could God be wearied? Because he humbled himself, became a man, and in his humanity, he had many limitations. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was in the form of God, not consider robbery to be equal with God, how many of us would say, oh, let me take on limitations? I mean, how many of you would want to become an amoeba? Just think about it. You're, you're human right now. You can do all kinds of things. Now, if, if God had come to you and said, listen, I want to save amoebas, I need you to become an amoeba, would you do that? Would you literally say, yeah, I'll become an amoeba? Now, he said, now listen. But you have to become an amoeba for eternity. Now, when you go to save the amoebas, they're going to hate you. They're going to kill you. They're, you're going to feel the pain. And then you're going to die. But, but know this, through, through your death, amoebas will be saved. But you'll have to stay an amoeba forever. How many, how many people would take that lower position? I mean, I wouldn't even want to become, you know, a, a bug, let alone an amoeba. Something's even smaller than that. But this is what Jesus did, being the form of God, not considered robbery to be equal. He became a man. He was wearied. As he comes to this well, he asks the woman in verse 7, he says, give me a drink. He's thirsty. Again, human limitations, human needs. And so he becomes, under this, know this, he becomes the one who should receive, and she becomes a giver. And he says, give me a drink. And initially, she looks to him and says, you know, what is it that you're doing? You know, understand that, 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 you know, how is it that you, being a Jew, are asking me, a Samaritan woman, for anything? Because Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus makes this statement in verse 10. And this is our text for this morning. 
He makes this statement, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked of him and he would have given you living water. Now, this is our text here for this morning. It begins with this question, if you knew. First part of it, if you knew. And keep in mind that we'll get into it in just a moment because man doesn't truly know how desperate his needs are. Nor do we even realize what our needs are. But he says, if you knew, do you understand? This is a key that, that we need to grasp a truth that Jesus says that for the most part escapes us. And even as Christians... I think when we come back to the point of refreshing our minds and refreshing our hearts to what it is that Jesus says, if you knew, if you make this fresh in your mind, fresh in your heart, fresh in your life, things just happen, wonderful things. And so I think it's a real good question. What is it that we should know? So if you knew is the first thing. The second thing is the gift of God. First, if you know, the second is the gift of God. And I think what happens is this, that we don't fully realize or come to appreciate on a daily basis what an incredible gift we have. And understand this, like that Energizer bunny, it's the gift that just keeps on giving and keeps on giving. And keep, every day we have mercies. Every day we have grace. Every day we have life that is given to us, promised to us. This is a gift. And he says, if you knew the gift, and I think so often that needs to be our mind, if we know the gift, if we're reminded of this gift, if we're refreshed in our life and our understanding at heart, what God has done for me today, what he's doing in me today, what's going to transform my life? Do you understand the very end of that psalm that we read in Psalm 44? Happy are the people whose God is the Lord. When he becomes the Lord today and you realize his gift to allow me to even let him be my Lord. Because what is man that you are even thoughtful of him, mindful of him? You shouldn't even be aware of us. We are, we are like nothing in this universe that you made. You hold it in the span of your hand. What is man? You think about it. What is our solar system in this universe? Nothing. And what is our sun and the planets that around, around, revolve around in this universe? Nothing. What is the earth? Nothing. What is, what is the North America? Nothing. What is Wisconsin? Nothing. What is Milwaukee? Nothing. What is this property? Nothing. What is this room? Nothing. What are we who sit in this room? Nothing. And yet, he's so mindful of us. He has so set his heart and his mind and his love upon us that I have grace for you. So the second thing is, if you, one, the first, if you know, second is, is the gift of God. And then it makes this statement, such a beautiful statement. And then he says this, and who it is. Do you know who it is? Do you know Jesus? Do you fully understand what Jesus has done? God lowered himself, humbled himself to the point of being a man. Oh my goodness, God humbled himself. God now has to thirst. God now is weary and sits down. It's amazing what Jesus did as he lowered himself from God to man. Now think about this. 
When we were just reading in our psalm what David said in Psalm 144, he also says in Psalm 8, what is man that you are mindful of him? He lowers himself to the point of insignificance to what is man. Do you realize the drop that he did? And he said, who it is. Do you realize that, that I have done this so that we can communicate, that we can have fellowship? Amazing who it is. And then he makes this statement, these last two. He says this, you would have asked... And the last is, and I would have given. Do you understand the requirement for receiving the gift? <laughs> it isn't. Now you need to get these things done. You need to pray X amount of hours, and you need to read X amount of hours, and you need to witness X amount of hours, and then you need to do this law, and then you need to keep this festival, and then you have to keep that dietary commandment. You've got to do all the... He didn't say anything. He said, ask. <laughs> this gift is yours. Not, not, not for the doing... For the asking. And he says, and if you follow that one requirement, asking, then he says this, it would have been given to you. This is an amazing passage of scripture. And these five things are mind-blowing when you set them in the order the Holy Spirit has done for us here. So let's jump into our study. Now that you know where we're going, let's actually begin the drive through this study. It opens up here in verse 10. Jesus answered and said, if you knew the gift of God. It's an amazing thing that this woman had already answered by saying, you know, how is it that you, a Jew, ask me a Samaritan? And Jesus said, if you'd known the gift of God. Now, it's, it's interesting. You know, my, my sense of humor, you know how I, I look to things in a little bit skewed way. And, and I can only imagine that this woman saying, oh, yeah, you're the gift of God. I've been married to five men who thought they were the gift of God, you know, to women. And they weren't. I'm no longer married to them. You're thinking you're the gift of God? But at this point, he says, if you knew. And I think it's important where he says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me this drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water if you knew. I think it's important for us to recognize that man as a whole, man, women, children, we do not know our most desperate needs. The most desperate needs that we have. And, and I know what you're thinking. Well, my, my desperate need is to have my taxes lowered. My desperate need is to have some food, is to have gas I could afford. No, that's not our most desperate need. Those are needs, of course, but they're not our most desperate needs. And I think what happens is that we as men, we do not understand how desperate we have a need of forgiveness. How much it is that we need to have our sin dealt with, the shame dealt with, the guilt dealt with, the curse dealt with. How much we need this thing called sin to be dealt with. So that no longer do we have to be slaves to sin here in this body. Sin will no longer have dominion over us. But we will, as it's been rendered inactive, the Greek is katargeo. It's been just simply, it's like it's a slab of meat sitting there on, on a table that can breathe and, and, and look at you, but it can't speak, it can't move. It's rendered inactive. It's paralyzed. It has no authority over you. Can you imagine a bully in school that used to always take your lunch money and now it's paralyzed? He's paralyzed there in a the hospital. 
and he can't move his hands. He can't move his face. He can't, he can't even move his neck. And you go in to see him, and he says, give me your lunch money. You're like, take it. <laughs> you, know? you don't have to be afraid of it anymore. You don't have to be afraid. He's, he's, he's there. He's rendered inactive. He's paralyzed. You don't have to quake in your boots and hand over your money anymore. And I think it's important to see that, that, that we don't realize this need that is forgiveness so that we can have one thing that we were created to have, fellowship with our creator. Do you understand you can't fully have an intimate fellowship, communion with our creator when the sin issue is not dealt with? And I think that's important for us to remember that, that what is this greatest need? And then once you do determine what that need is, the other issue that we have is this, that, that we're relatively ignorant, nor do we have this ability to grasp the concept of just my desperate need for this grace because I can't deal with the sin issue on my own. I can't be the one to say, well, let me help a couple old ladies across the street. Let me buy some Girl Scout cookies. Let me do this, and, and then I'll have worked it out, right? That doesn't weigh, it isn't the way it works. See, we're, we're so unaware of this concept of sin and how it had to be dealt with. And, and as we, we recognize this, I don't think that we become aware so much of, of how this problem is dealt with and who it is who deals with the problem. See, we all have this in nature. How is it dealt with? Well, it has to be dealt with with a being that's above us. God has to deal with it. And then seldom do we realize how he dealt with it. And when we realize, God, what you did to solve the sin issue, how you came down to our level that you would be forever a man. They're in heaven. They say, where did you get the wounds? Got him in the house of my friends. Still, he is that lamb that has been slain. And I think it's important that when we come to this understanding, that when we finally recognize our need for grace, who it is that supplies the grace, and how that grace is to be applied, this is the answer to the question. And this is why Jesus comes and says, oh, if you knew, if you knew. And let me add this, dear saint. I want to share one part. I think what is important is this, that every single day when you wake up, that we should come to a fresh reminder to this truth, if you knew. Wake up in the morning and say, what do I need to know? Oh, I need to know that I, in my own, would never be allowed to God. When I'm ready to open my Bible for devotions, I don't have this access on my own. I, I could never have communion with God. I had a sin issue that needed to be dealt with, and he, in his grace, dealt with it. What is man that you should be mindful of? I'm insignificant to nothing, and yet he came and became this insignificant nothing. He became a man, wearied himself. He was tired and weary and thirsty, he did this so that he could save me, that he could power, shower out grace upon me and give me the Holy Spirit and, and so I could eternally have fellowship with God. This is what the question is, if you knew. And I, I, I want to just challenge you, saying every single morning, come with that fresh knowledge. Come with a fresh motivation. 
come brand new to this truth of what it is that God desires for us to know. I love how when we were reading in our psalm this morning, there in Psalm 144, verse 9, he makes this statement in verse 9. He says, I will sing a new song to you. Do you understand that I think every day it should be a new motivation? Not yesterday's song, not yesterday's manna, but I want to realize again today what you've done. And I want my song to be brand new today. I don't want it to be yesterday's song. I want it to be fresh. And even if the truth is an old truth, but it's a fresh truth to me today, I want to you, Lord, to know that I'm aware of it today and I'm thankful for it today. And I want you to be my Lord. Happy is the man whose God is the Lord. You lead me. You've purchased me. Take my life. Use it for your glory. But I think it's important for us to come and grasp this truth if you knew. I think so often, every morning, ask this question, do I know? What should I know? What should I know, Lord? Know that I love you. Know that I've made a way to come to you. But, but know that, that you, like, like our psalm that we were reading here this morning, so beautifully said there in that third verse, he says, Lord, what is man that you take knowledge of him, the son of man that you are mindful of? A man is like a breath and his days are like a passing shadow. We're a vapor. You're gone. I should be nothing. And yet you've, you've chosen to set your mind on me, your heart on me. And then you've chosen to come and humble yourself to become a man, die in my place so that I can have communion with you. So really, what is this gift of God? He said, if you knew the gift of God, and I think it's important for us to grasp this truth. One, know it fresh every day. But what is this truth that you need to grasp and know fresh every day? There is a truth found in the book of Romans, chapter 6, verse 23. I want to read it to you. You know it. When I read it, you're going to say, oh, Romans 6, 23. I know that one. And it simply says this. As, as Paul is teaching the, the church in Rome, he makes this statement, the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Do you understand? The wages, what you've earned is death. But the gift, see, one, one is earning, we've all earned death, <clears throat> The other is this, a gift which you don't deserve. See, you're getting what you deserve. You're getting death. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. It's so beautiful to realize here that these earned wages is death. But know this, but instead of what you deserved, God gives you a gift. And understand that only God can give. And it becomes a gift when you realize what? I didn't earn it. It was just given to me. But the gift isn't yours until you do what? Until you accept it, until you receive it. And when you accept this gift, when you receive this gift, all of a sudden you understand the truth of what it is that God says. How beautiful is this gift? I want to read to you there in Romans chapter 5 verses 15 through 18, just so that you can understand, because in Romans 5, 15, it says, but the free gift is not like the offense. 
For if by one man's offense many died, and much more the grace of God. Now understand what this gift is. It's grace. The grace of God. And the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. See, we have what we deserve. And this is what it says. We, we have the offense. Adam, his sin nature is in every one of us. And then what we've, we've proven it by the lives that we lived, by the thoughts that we've thought, by the things that we've done. And what I love about here, what I love about God, he says, listen, but this grace, this, this gift of grace, this free gift is not like the offense. One you deserve. The other is, I want to give it to you instead. I don't want to give you what you've earned, what you've deserved. I want to give you this gift of grace. And it says this in verse 16, and the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For the judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation, but the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. You understand there's offenses, Adam's and ours, and then he says this, and then there's a justification, which is just as if you've never sinned. There's the payment for it. In other words, every sin, the sin nature that Adam put, paid in full. You don't have to pay it. The, 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 the penalty for the sins that you committed, every one of them paid in full. You don't have to pay it. It's justification, just as if you've never sinned. This is the gift. And I love the fact because then in verse 17, he says this, for by one man's offense, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. And now he says this, he's adding to the gift. Just in case you think just getting rid of my sin is the one thing, he says, no, 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 that's, that's just the, 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 the beginning. Then you, you unwrap it. And then there's layer after layer after layer of this gift. The first is you don't have to pay for your sins. And the second thing is this, that we will reign in life, that we will have eternal life, communion with God, and then we will be as children part of this incredible inheritance. And this is ours forever and ever. Can you imagine how this is the gift that just keeps on giving? It's like this one thing, and then you open it up, and it's an amazing thing inside this box. And then there's another box inside that box, along with the gift. And then you open that box too, and there's an amazing gift in that box with another box. And then you open that box too, and there's another gift inside that box with another box. See, it's one thing, as I don't know if you've ever seen people have a really big box, and then you open it and there's just a box. That's not what God does. See, you have this big box and there's a gift in it with another box. And you go, whoa, I got a gift and a box. See, some of it gets smaller, smaller, smaller. But here's the, here's the gift and another gift. And you open that one, and there's a gift in there and another box. And you open that one, and here's a gift. And, another, and you just keep going and going and going. This is God. This is how he gives this gift. You understand what this gift is? And I love what Paul does in Romans because he made this statement. I want to read it to you again, verse 17 and 18. For if by one man's offense, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. Therefore, 
as though one man, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation, even so through one man's righteous act, his death on the cross, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. There's no more do's and don'ts. There's just life. And I love the fact that here we begin to see that only God can give this gift. And when it's accepted, when it's received, when it's known, then we begin to recognize the enormity of this gift. There's a passage, I want you to be aware of it, found in the book of Genesis chapter 3. I want to begin reading there in verse 8. This is right after Adam and Eve were... Eve was deceived by the serpent, and then she gave to Adam, and he ate as well. They ate of the fruit that they were not to eat. But in verse 8 of Genesis 3, there's a very interesting statement that the Holy Spirit speaks. It says this. They'd already sown fig leaves. They covered themselves. And in verse 8 of Genesis 3, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. The inference is this, that God would every day come and walk in the garden. Every day come and said, where are you, Adam? Where are you even? They would just come, hey, there, you know, like a little kid coming to Papa, like a little kid coming to their mama. And I think it's so important that we see that, that they're aware that, oh, you're here. They got running. And now he's here. Like, oh, we got to hide. Do you understand what happened? Because of the sin nature, they no longer had that intimacy of communion. And, and the result of what happened here, if you take a look further on here in chapter 3 of Genesis, look at verses 23 and 24. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the Garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. So he drove out the man and he placed cherubim at the east of the Garden of Eden and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. The issue was man was cast out from the presence of God. Do you realize every day God would come and meet with Adam and meet with Eve in the cool of the day there in the garden. They would hear the sound of the Lord. Oh, here he is. And now all of a sudden, I got to hide. And it wasn't only that they thought they had to hide. God said, you have to leave. You have to leave. You can't experience me in this intimacy anymore. You, you've lost this forever until I fix it, because you can't fix it. Until it's fixed, it's gone. And I think it's important to realize here that he drives man out of the garden. They no longer have experienced that intimacy. They knew it because they couldn't experience it themselves. God confirmed you don't have intimacy by driving them out of the garden. Now, eventually, there would be a certain amount of people that God would meet with. Enoch was one, and I love that passage because it says God can do that. But for the most part, mankind... God wouldn't meet with them. Now, not every single day. And even Moses, Moses, who would be in the presence of God there, you know, 40 days and 40 nights, so much that he was glowing. 
But it's amazing that even God, what he would instruct Moses to do on the norm is this. Moses, you got to build a tabernacle. And if you're familiar with that tabernacle is, it was just simply a tent that God instructed the children of Israel to make as a place that they could come and worship. Now, understand what this tabernacle is. If you are unaware of what the tabernacle, it's found there in the book of Exodus. I won't go there. I won't open it up to you. But there's a point where there in Exodus 25, he tells Moses, make it according to a pattern. Well, Hebrews tells us that, listen, this pattern that God divinely said, it's a pattern of what's already in heaven. Why did he say that? Well, for the most part, people think the tabernacle or the temple is this model on how people come to God. In all reality, it's just the opposite. The tabernacle, the model that is established there in Exodus 25 is actually just the opposite. It's the model of how God came to people. When God told Moses, make the tabernacle, he started not out in the tent, not out, come to the altar, not out, now come to the laver, not come in and now hit to the, the showbread and the lampstand and the altar of incense and eventually you come into the holy holies and meet with me. That's not the process because we know that what the average Israelite couldn't even come in. They're still outside, so it isn't coming to God. And even certain amount of the priests, they could come into the holy place, but not into the most holy place. They still couldn't come to God. And even in the holy of holies, the high priest could only come after multiple washings, sacrificing an oxen for himself. And then he had to have coals on, on a laver, incense on the coal, so smoke came up just so he could go and apply blood and get back out. That's all he could do. And that was only once a year. So understand the tabernacle is not a picture because what God does, he doesn't say come to the altar. He says, look at the Holy of Holies first. I want you to think about this for just a second. This whole issue of the tabernacle is how God comes to man. It starts there in the Holy of Holies there in Exodus 25. He starts with the, the, the Ark of the Covenant, the mercy seat. Understand, if you think about Philippians 2, 5 through 7, where he, being the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but he made himself of no reputation, becoming the form of a man, then as a man taking the form of the bondservant as the point of death and even the death of the cross. Think about this. If you take Philippians 2 and you apply it to the tabernacle, you start where God started. He didn't say the Holy Spirit, let's start with the laver and the altar. He said, start with the Holy of Holies. God there that's where God met. That was the very glory of God. And then you come through the veil. Jesus became not just stayed as God. He came through the veil and he came what? Filled with the Holy Spirit, the altar of incense. And he became the light of the world and the bread of life. He became humanity and he became the light in humanity. And it's important to recognize that both the deity and the humanity were joined perfectly and that was through the power of the Holy Spirit. And as he comes, then he does what? Then he says, and I will wash you with my word. So he leaves. He comes to this, this, this holy place. And of course, he was holy in everything that he did. He was without sin. But he came to do what? He came to wash us. And the last thing that he does is this. He goes to the cross and he dies. The blood is shed. Now, that's the journey that Jesus took to meet us. Now, what do we do? We apply the blood. 
And what Hebrews tells us, we come boldly through this veil that has now been rent and we have access with God immediately. That's incredible. See, the religious mindset says you got to work your way to God. And the Christian word says God worked his way to you. Now you got simple access. This is the heart and this is what we need to understand. That when we come to this point and realize that this is what God had tried to let us know. None of us could have fellowship with God. Adam and Eve were kicked out. They knew they couldn't have fellowship. They hid from him. God removed them. And, and as we begin to see here that even in the tabernacle, they couldn't have access. God was there. He says, I've come to you. And I'm going to show you the way that you'll eventually come to me through the one who's going to be what? The seed of the woman. Through the one who's going to be God in the flesh. And I'm going to show you this, but you can't have access. Do you understand that none of the children of Israel could come and commune with God whenever they wanted to? They couldn't come in the cool of the day. Not even the high priest. He was limited to one time a year. And that's after a the, the washing and the blood of an oxen and all that to just try to say, I want to just intercede for the people. It's incredible to think what begins to happen with the reality of how we cannot approach God. Now, Solomon himself would make the tabernacle into a temple, something more permanent, and yet the same situation applied. They couldn't come into the Holy of Holies. No one could. Except the high priest, and only once a year, no one could approach God. And this was taught over and over and over in Scripture. And yet one day, one day, it's a, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing that one day, and I want to read from you here in the Gospel of John, verse 17, oh, John chapter 1, verse 14 it says this, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. See, man could never approach God. So what does God do? God comes and approaches man. This word becomes flesh. And, and I love it how James 1.17 makes that statement. says, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. Jesus is good and he's perfect. He's the gift that we need. And I think it's important that we begin to see that this is the gift, that God himself would humble himself and he would become a man. Now, when we went through John's epistles, remember the very first epistle, the very first chapter, the very first verse we read in John, 1 John 1, 1, it says, that which was from the beginning, in other words, that which was eternal, the word which we've heard, which we've seen with our eyes, which we've looked upon, our hands have handled concerning the word of life. Do you know what he's saying? We touched God. That which was from the beginning was here. We saw him. We heard him. We hugged him. We had communion with God. It was incredible the understanding that John began to realize how much so they say, ah, people just love one another. You understand how simple is God made it? All you have to do is this. When you realize who it is that's giving you the gift, it's God who says it's yours. All you have to do is ask, and it is yours. 
It's an incredible thing. And so, so one day, God, who says, you'll never have access to me. You can never have communion with me again because of the sin that Adam did and the sin that you've done. You can't have intimacy. You can't have true communion. And then we realize God loved the world. God so loved this world that he gave his son, that God became a man, and that this man would go to the cross. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten. He gave his son to the point of death, and so whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And we see here that God's gift to humanity was Jesus Christ. I love how Jesus calls himself over and over and over in the Gospels the Son of Man. He doesn't call himself the Son of Israel. He doesn't call himself the Son of the Jews. He calls himself the Son of Man. He was the Son for all humanity. Yes, the Jew first, but also for the Greek we understand that here Jesus is the Son of Man. He was God's gift to all of humanity, not just one small, perfect little group. And I think it's important to realize that this gift that you have, God says, I want to give this gift to everyone else. If they knew their desperate need and they knew who would be the one that fixed the need and how it took grace to fulfill that need. And then Jesus says, not only he says, if you knew the gift of God, which is God becoming a man, the importance of, of him lowering himself in humility to the point of death. And then he says this, and who it was who says this. Do you realize that it, it isn't just a man, but, but, but God who gave so much away. Jesus gave deity away. God in the flesh. And, and yet he said, what? I'm limited. I'm weary. I'm thirsty. Now, now, truly, he was still fully God. But there were things as a man that he was humbled. He had to be born as a baby. He had to grow in wisdom and stature. He had to, to literally, they said, we, we know this kid. He's the son of Joseph. He, he's he's the, the son of Mary. His, his brothers are here. His sisters are here. And they understood him to be a man. Jesus shows us in his humanity the weaknesses that he has as a man. And I think it's so important that, that when we recognize what God had to do, what he went through in order to have us to have fellowship with him, he did it all. And all he has to say is just, just come on. And I think it's important to realize the fullness of what it is that he had to do in order for us to come into a right relationship. Now, I want to read you that portion of Philippians 2, beginning in verse 5. He said, this, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being the form of God, did not consider robbery to be equal with God, shows him in his deity. He made himself of no reputation humbled himself, humility, taking the form of a bondservant, coming in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, lower yet, and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. This is what he did. He was God, and he lowered himself to become a man. And as a man, he lowered himself to become a servant of men, and then he lowered himself again to die for the men who rejected him. This is humility. But understand who it is who says this. 
understand who it is. It's God. And I think it's so important that when God says, listen, I have this gift for you. And, and, and what I'm going to do is this. If you understand who I am and what I've done, I've gone to the point of the cross. Jesus now makes this statement here in John 4, verse 13 to the woman. He says this, Jesus answered and said, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. Verse 14, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst, but the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. It's incredible to see here what Jesus is saying is yours. That one, he says, not only can you have intimacy with God, but how can I? How can I have that intimacy? Well, there in the Gospel of John, chapter 14, Jesus there opens this passage by saying, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house, there's many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you, that where I am, there you will be also. So he makes a statement, I have to go. And they're upset. You're going? You're going? Why are you going? We, we, we love you. You've only been around for three and a half years. Why do you have to go? And Jesus makes this statement, the latter part of John 14, beginning in verse 16 and 17, Jesus makes this statement, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. God is going to give Jesus, another of the same kind, a paracletus, one who's going to come alongside. And he says this in verse 17, the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. Do you understand this gift? Do you really fully grasp this gift that you can have absolute communion with God because you have the Holy Spirit in you right now? That God says, all you have to do is connect with me and you can have intimacy, sweet, sweet fellowship and power. This is here what God begins to say is our right. Not that you've earned it. It was a gift. But now it's, it's a gift. It's now yours. You have the right to say, it's mine. I want fully everything to do with it. And I think it's so important to recognize what the heart of God is. And this is what he so desperately wants for us. And so as we recognize here this heart of God that he begins to open up, this is what I have. I have the Holy Spirit. I want to give to you the Holy Spirit. Jesus says in John chapter 7, verses 37 through 39, on the last day of the great feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Holy Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. He came to give us a gift. The gift of one, wiping away our sins. And then in that box, there's another gift. And then it's, now you're a child of God, and you will have eternity with me. And then there's another gift. And this other gift is, yeah, not only that, but you have an inheritance in heaven. It's going to be forever and ever and ever. And then there's another gift. 
And within that gift, it's like, here, you have the Holy Spirit that will live in you right now. And within that, there's another gift. And he said, and with that Holy Spirit comes power and manifestations that God is going to give to you. And the fact that you will know I'm always going to be here with you. Do you understand? Gift after gift after gift. If you knew what God went through in order to give us this gift, how he humbled himself, I think it's so important to recognize these truths. Now, there is a warning, and I want to share with you not the warning itself um, per se, but I do want to share with you the, the heart of what the Holy Spirit does. It's found in Hebrews chapter 6. And within this, I just want to share it with you so that you could understand here his heart. In Hebrews chapter 6, I want to read to you verses 4 through 8 just so you can understand. But in verse 4, it says, It's impossible for those who are once enlightened, who've tasted the heavenly gift. So understand, I'm not talking about us who, who aren't applying this gift, but I want to share with you this heavenly gift. And this is it. You've tasted the heavenly gift. You have become partakers of the Holy Spirit. This is who we are. We've tasted the gift. We've become partakers of the Holy Spirit. And he says in verse 5, and we've tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come. This is it. We've tasted everything that God had, the power of the word, the power of the promises that are mine today and tomorrow and for eternity. Do you understand this incredible gift? This is the heart, and I think it's so important to recognize what God has for us. You have the gift. Not only your sins are taken away, not only justification, not only the, the curse is gone, not only your guilt is gone, but you have eternal life. And then you have the Holy Spirit in you now. And, and what Jesus is saying to this woman, if you knew. Now, how many times do you go through a day without being aware of the enormity of what God's grace upon your life is? You understand that when I wake up and I realize I should be nothing, and you've made me everything in your mind. I should be nothing, and you've made me everything in your heart. I should be nothing. You should not have done this. I did not deserve this, but you gave me the gift of eternal life. You've taken away my sin. You've, you, Jesus, humbled yourself. God becomes a man, dies in my stead, and I realize that gift, and what do I respond? Hang out there. I got my life to live. Isn't that what we do? When you become aware, when you know this gift, your life radically changes. When you become aware in the morning of what it is that God has done and that he loves you to this degree, that he did this and he did all that, he gave you the Holy Spirit to come live inside you so that you could do what? So that you could have fellowship with God today. And that you could have fellowship with God tomorrow. The problem is, is you don't want to have fellowship. We're like, I just want to live my life. I want to have fellowship with everything else. And God says, but that's not what you were created to do. That's not going to fulfill you. You can do all these other things but eventually you're going to find them all lacking until what? Until you get me. And then once you have me, then you have everything. You don't need anything else. All these other things are okay, but you have me, which is the greatest. And this is the heart. And then Jesus says this, these last two things. God had come into this redeemed child of God. No longer do we need the blood of bulls and goats because we have what? We have the blood of Christ and the body of Christ. It is, you don't have to just give this to me. You can take it. If you ask, I'll give. 
Do you understand? So often we think, what do I have to do? Do I have to sacrifice again? And he says, no, no, you just ask. This is a gift. And this is why we're doing communion here this morning. It's a gift. You have the body. You have the blood of Christ. This is his finished work. We do this in remembrance of him. And this is this beautiful thing because he makes this statement in the very end of of John 4.10. He says this. One, if you had known the gift of God, who it was who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked and he would have given you living water. You understand? You would have asked and he would have given you newness, freshness, life. Every day you can say, God, you know what? I don't want to live a life that's, where are you? I don't want to live a life that I can't experience you. I want to live a life that's vibrant with you. Well, how do you do that? If you ask, I'll give. It's not if you, if you ask and you do this and you do this and you do that and you do that, then I'll think about it. See, that's how it was when I was growing up. We wanted to go do something, and my parents said, well, if you want to go do something, first got to make the wood, clean the pens, do this, do that. Once you get all that done, come back, and then I'll think about it. And God says, no, you just ask, you get. You just, just, this is all yours. If you want that vibrancy, and this is what he says, you would have asked of him, he would have given you living water. This is just torrents, torrents, refreshing life that wells up from within you. All you have to do is ask. And this is the heart of God. This is what he wants from us. And I think, saint, tap into this. Every day when you realize your unworthiness and how much he loves this vapor, this dust, this nothing, and he makes you something. And he says, but what I went through to do this, understand how I humbled myself. Don't boast. Don't boast as if you've done something to earn it. Realize we've done nothing. He did everything. And when we realize he did everything, tap into it and just say, you know what? I know you did everything, but don't limit it. Don't think, now that you've given me this, are you going to stop? He says, no, no. If I've given you this, I'll freely give you all things. All you have to do is, is I'm, a, I'm a loving father. I'm a giver. And this is here what Jesus has done to the woman. He says, now listen, I was the receiver and you were the giver. But if you ask, we'll turn it around. You ask and I will give abundantly. All I ask was something small from you. You ask, I'll give you something huge, torrents of living water. And isn't that amazing that here God says, I've given you life and that in abundance. And then God says this. But every so often, I'm going to ask something of you. Something small. Not like, hey, you know, you got to work really hard, but give me a drink. Maybe give this person a drink. Maybe share some living water with this person here because they're thirsting and you know it. And it's so important that God will simply say, could you do something? And like, look at what I've given. Can you do something small? And I love what this woman does because when she does all of those things, when she receives fully who he is. In John chapter 4, verse 28, it makes this statement, then the woman left her water pot. And then she went into the city and she said to the men, come see the man who told me all the things they ever did. Now understand, she didn't forget her water pot. 
She didn't forget it. She left it. Lord, you refresh yourself as much as you need. You wanted a drink? Here's a whole water pot. I'm leaving it for you. I'll be back. I'll be back for it, but I'm leaving this for you. She left it. She left it so that he could take as much as he wanted. It's all yours. It's all yours. I don't need it anymore. But I do got to get in town. I got to tell these people about you so they can come and have this living water too. Do you understand the necessity of what she did? She says, you, you want something? <laughs> what can I give to you? How can I leave it to you? How can I give it to you? This is my gift. That's all she could do is just leave it. And she says, it's all yours now. I love the heart of what she does and how she does it. And understand that this is what God is doing to you and me. I've given you everything. And every so often, I'm going to ask you, walk with me. Walk with me. Be a part of my plan. And she was. In the most amazing way, she was. This was a woman that the Jews despised. In fact, it was a woman who the town despised. It was the woman whom men despised, and yet God says, I love you, and I'm going to use you. And so don't worry about how people look to you, because what God says is this. If anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. She was a brand new creation in Christ. And, and, and like the, the woman caught in the act of adultery, forgiven, forgiven. But, but, but walk a new life. And she is walking a life of power. She is, is a recluse from the city and now coming in and sharing light to the city. It's funny, the disciples went in to get food. They didn't bring anyone out. It was business as usual. I went in to get food. I got food. I left. <laughs> but, but wait, look at all those people. Look at all the people. Why did you just go get food? Go get food. Bring them out. Tell them of where the bread of life is. And it's absolutely amazing to see how this woman is. And I think this is a great question for all of us. Do you know what God has done? Do you know his gift? Are you aware, intimately aware of who it is that is making the statement, Jesus, who was God, humbled himself to the point of the cross to die for your sins. Are you aware of who it is that you're going to ask? And if you ask, he says, I will give. I will give and I will give in abundance. May we be those who come to the Lord and recognize this truth. Make it a part of your life. Make it a part of your worship that, that you can experience the fullness of God. Amen? Oh, Father, we are so grateful for who you are and how you work. Lord, how faithful you are. We do pray that you would continue to use this word to minister to our hearts. Draw us to an intimacy of what this fellowship really is with you. The fullness of gift after gift after gift and how much you love us. And so, Lord, knit our hearts to you through the fellowship, through the, the worship, through the word, and now through communion. As we come and we receive from you again your finished work your body which was broken, your blood which was shed. And as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we will proclaim, we will testify of the victory over sin. We will testify of your death, the humiliation that you went through so that we could have an exaltation to have communion with God.
until you come. Do the work in us, we ask in Jesus' name. And all the saints of God said, amen. Well, saints, we're about to end.